Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm a co-host, Davey, a.k.a. Davey on the Run, a running enthusiast, influencer, and marathoner, and I love everything about running. As passionate runners, we look to use our knowledge and draw on past experiences to provide you with cutting-edge science and insightful information. We are going to be unpacking the fascinating topic of running with all stars, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to not only help you improve your running, but also ensure that you experience maximum joy with every step that lies ahead in your journey, wherever that may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't feel that I had much worth attached to my life mm. and I, I didn't like being in my own skin. I got to high school and that's when my drinking had progressed and I just I stopped running, I stopped doing any exercise because, I mean, that wasn't giving me... It was too much work to yeah. feel good. Yeah. Whereas the drugs or the alcohol was, like was so easy, quick. quick. Yeah. yeah. And this was in 2018. So I was like, well... Just as my my dream predicted, yeah, yeah. so I'm gonna die. I know some elite uh, elite men runners that are shivering in their <laughs> in their trail shoes. They they they, they petrified. The, the, the name Kepler. They're Kepler. Everyone's looking over their shoulders at the run. Uh, here She's coming. <laughs> I mean, um, how do you manage that load and how does your body respond to it? And you were running Jenny. like two days after the Grand Traverse. Before getting on to today's conversation, we wouldn't be able to bring you our Making a Runner podcast without the support of our valued sponsors. This episode is proudly brought to you by On The Move. The four bros have been a big supporter of the work I do within the community and they always aim to bring you the finest quality sports, health and lifestyle products to help you achieve and maintain all your desired health and fitness objectives. One of these products I am personally a big fan of is On Running. This sports apparel brand offers Swiss excellence both in quality and performance and has enjoyed key international design and technology awards. Even though when it comes to running shoes, my advice to my clients is always to go on what makes them feel most comfortable I can guarantee that whether you get yourself into a pair of on shoes for daily life, work or casual purposes, you will not regret it. The shoe is extremely comfortable, stylish and is my go-to for these long hours spent on my feet, especially at work. Make sure to check them out at onthemovestore.com or simply pop into one of their stores in Durban, Joburg or Cape Town. This is a top tip from me to you. Now sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome Davey. Hello Nicola. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, eh? I have a race tomorrow. You I've sound like you always have races. What's going I on? I don't bro? always have races. <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow, Durban City Marathon. Feeling, feeling good, actually. So, but it's raining. Yeah. Not good. Nice and cool. It'll be nice and cool as Perfect well as running conditions, they say. Yeah. What's the temperature? 15 degrees? I hope so. Cool. That'll be great. Not too much. Like I'll even put my drizzle. arm warmers on. It's going to be lovely. Yes, you're going to look like an elite man. Uh, absolutely elite athlete. But, but talking about elite athletes, we have the one and only Joe Kepler joining us today. Do yeah. you want to tell us a bit about Joe? Yeah, I mean, Joe has just got an incredible story. It's She's a super inspiring woman. Mm. She's an aspiring elite level trail runner. She's done and competed and placed in a few ultra level events. Uh, she She's a mother. She is a wife. She's come from an extremely difficult background of addiction. And she really managed to channel that energy from negative to positive and turn her life upside down from ruin to running. 
quite honestly one of the most amazing stories that I've ever heard. She's also offering a great service to the community in and amongst AA, also for the Lodestar Foundation. So her story is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think she she's going to be chatting to us a lot about training and what it takes to become an elite trail runner, essentially. But also she's going to give us a little insight about where she's come from, how she's managed to turn her life around and how difficult it is to, to actually go through that whole process and yeah. come out at the end of it with a positive story. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to her story of how she's managed to make herself a runner. Joe Kepler, thank you for being in the studio with us today. Really excited to get chatting with you and for taking the time out of your schedule, which seems to be a very busy running schedule mm. as me and Davey see. Thank you, Joe. You, you've traveled all the way from? Peter Maritzburg. PMB for a Durban holiday, yeah. sunny Durbs, <laughs> and it is raining outside. Perfect, perfect race conditions for Davey tomorrow. Uh. Oh, I'm, I'm frothing. <laughs> as long as it doesn't start bucketing, we'll have to check the forecast after this. Mm. Joe. Let's start off with uh, just a little bit of intro on you, and uh, we'll, we'll get deeper into your story. But obviously, trail running is where your main domain of running is. How did you get into trail running, and how long have you been a trail runner for? Um, so not going too deep into the background of yeah. how it started, but basically what happened, I left treatment in April 2019. While I was there, there was this little like 3K loop around the center that we were allowed to, to run around and it was all trail and so when I got home I thought I would love to keep up this this running thing I really enjoy it it's good for me so I thought well, let me carry on and we live on a farm so our dirt road out the farm is called the D494 and it's probably one of the steepest hills in Hilton and it's a dirt road so I started running up and down that road Okay. And um yeah, so it just kind of naturally progressed into trail. Yeah, so so that's that's how you got into it. I think the backstory is super important. So, do you want to give us a little bit of a insight into that? I mean, I was looking at a a post earlier this morning and it was a tree called Back from the Dead. And I think that's one of the most amazing parts of your story is how you've overcome addiction and ended up where you are. So just give us a bit of insight into that. Sure. I mean, it's quite, I think I was always, I always had issues. <laughs> I believe that I was born a bit different. Mm. Um, I was always extremely sensitive. I was very, um, quite an emotional child, uh, very aware of what was going on around me. And from a young age, I, you know, I kind of took a sip of a drink and I felt, I was like, oh my gosh, I've arrived, you know, mm. and it was, it, it wasn't normal. But I didn't realize that because, you know, for me, it was just such a great feeling. Mm. And it's funny because if you speak to any other addicts or alcoholics, they'll give you the same explanation of like that first time they picked up or the first time they had a drink. It was this feeling of like, like I've arrived. And um, yeah, I think from that, you know, it kind of just progressed as I grew up and went into high school. I started drinking more, started going to house parties. And when, you know, the other girls were drinking like hooches or mm. whatever they were called, I was there. The drink- Smirnoff spin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm. I was, I was drinking vodka mm. and because I just wanted to get there faster. Mm. You know, it wasn't about enjoying it. It was like just trying to be un- unobtainable. And at what age did you realize that you had a problem? I think I knew from the age of 15, 16 already that what I was doing was not normal because mm. the other kids my age were not behaving the way I was. Yeah. 
But then I was rationalizing it and saying, oh, I'm more mature mm. or, you know, I'm just a badass. <laughs> and do you have any um, hereditary family stuff from before or did you think it? Because obviously, I mean, alcoholism can be quite hereditary, you know, passed on through genetics, but is yours a new thing in the family? So, I mean, I think my dad and I are very similar and my dad's a bit of an all or nothing person. Um, so I think we have very similar traits, but okay. his never really became an issue. You know, he grew up in Greece and on a, a background that was very different to mine. You know, they were very, they were quite poor, uh, farming. Then he was in the army. So he wasn't exposed to what I was exposed to as a teenager. Yeah. So I think that's the, the, the factor and that I think differentiates I, us. Yeah. You know, in, in, in that sort of, you, when your when your dad was going through it, I mean, in the army it was all normal. You know, yeah. heavy drinking was normal. Yeah. So, I think only only now, you know, as we get more into um, become more conscious about it as yeah. a society. As a society, yeah, correct. Okay, so fifteen years old, you realized that something was not right, and and how long did that progress for? Sure. So, I mean, by the time I was 15, I'd already started experimenting with hard drugs, you know, that was like ecstasy, cocaine. Mm. And um, so the progression was very fast. And then when I got to 16, I developed bulimia. So also I changed schools. And bulimia is just for anyone that doesn't know what that is. So it's an eating disorder where you you, you eat and you actually throw up because of the fear of putting on weight. Sure. I'd also been I changed schools from Howick High School to St Anne's because I was having issues, and you know my poor parents like they just thought it wasn't me; it was something else mm. that was affecting me. And I just think it was hard for them to accept that I was the problem. Mm. And I was I love blaming everything else. It's like no, it's not, it's not my fault, you know. I think that's that's quite a common alcoholic tendency <laughs> is is to find a, a scapegoat. Correct. Hundred percent. That's yeah. like that is our modus operandi. It's mm. like it's not me; it's someone else. And it's funny. There's a page in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the book like I read regularly, and it's called Acceptance is the Answer. And it says, when I accept that I am the problem, not people, places, or things around me, then I can be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you had quite a um, lack of self-esteem growing up. Obviously, I mean, if you're, you know, bulimia, you're worried about putting on weight, um, alcohol, drugs. So you were searching for an escape. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I was just, I didn't feel that I had much worth attached to my life, mm. and I, I didn't like being in my own skin. So it was like always searching for something outside of myself to make me feel good. Yeah, and the quickest. What gave me that, you know, the, the quickest result was alcohol and drugs. Yeah. So in junior school, I was very good at sport. Okay. Um, I was captain of like hockey, swimming, I was running, everything. I got to high school and that's when my drinking had progressed. And I just, I stopped running. I stopped doing any exercise because, I mean, that wasn't giving me, it was too much work to yeah. feel good. Yeah. Whereas the drugs or the alcohol was like was so easy, quick. quick. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't actually do any sports throughout high school. I became pretty useless. And you must have felt like you lost your self-identity, you know, going through that that period. Because obviously you were a sporty person, you loved activity. And then as you progressed into the um, heart of your addiction, obviously, I mean, did you you seem to lose yourself? Well, I just, I don't think I ever knew myself. Yeah. Since, like, I I honestly don't think I'd ever really known myself. I didn't know who, what what made me happy. Yeah, who was Joe? No. So, like, I was just filling into all these little gaps that I found where I was like, oh, maybe that's my group. Maybe that's my tribe. Maybe that will make me happy. And, you know, that constant search 
but like I said, anything outside myself to make me feel good. Yeah, okay. So you've you've been running for I believe it's three years, possibly four years now. So I went into treatment in February 2019. What was the culmination of that? I mean, we talked up until 16, 17, yeah. growing up. I mean, now you're how old? 33? 33. You can't, you can't yeah. ask that question. <laughs> it's rude. It's not rude. <laughs> <laughs> I think our listeners would like to know that. Because, I mean, there's, also, there's also all elements of that. Yeah, 33 yeah. years young. There's still so much left to achieve as, a, as an athlete, you know. But, I mean, what was sort of the tipping point that you got to? So this is, it's kind of a crazy story, but it, it's my truth. So I had this dream when I was younger and I was about five years old and I had this dream that my dad and my cousin were carrying a coffin and they put it in the ground and I was kind of looking from above and it had Ioana Lefterio, which is my real name, 1988 to tw- uh, 2018. So I had this dream and I had it every year. Just once a year, I'd have this dream. So I was like, I'm going to die when I'm 30. And I just believed that was my my truth. And I had kind of come to terms with it. So from 16, 16, 17, 18, I then went to Greece on a gap year. I told my parents that, oh, I'm going to go study and this and that. Manipulated everyone, Mm. as I always did. Went to Greece. It was, really, I lost a lot of weight. I got burnt by fire. Actually, um, see, that's wow. where the bangle is. But I had third degree burns up sure. on my arm okay. um, just from trying to cook something and it ignited and I tried to carry it out. Ended up in hospital. My mom had to come see me. I was severely underweight and she was like, this girl's coming home. Mm. Went home. So your mom came to Greece? Yes. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I went home and then I started studying a BCom finance and I actually was doing really well. I mean, I got 10 distinctions in my first year. Wow. And then where, where did you study? Through UNISA. Okay. Yeah, so I was at Varsity College, and then I fell pregnant. <laughs> and then uh, for nine months, obviously I was pregnant, and then I was breastfeeding for six months. I never touched alcohol or drugs. I stopped smoking, and I was like, you know, this is this is my solution, my child. This yeah. is going to save me. Yeah. The, I stopped breastfeeding, and a week later, I went out to a club for a friend's birthday, and I relapsed. Wow. And I was using again. And then... What happens with addicts or alcoholics, if you stop using and you don't have a solution, and when mm. I say solution, like a 12-step program, AA, NA meetings, sponsors, when you pick up again, it's just where you stopped, you take, it's like where you pick up, it's where you left it. It doesn't gradually increase. Mm. So it's like when I picked up again, it just was like, boom, you know, it's really bad. And then... Leo was a baby, you know, he was a little boy, and there I was using again, and so I said to my folks, I need help, and I went to my first treatment center, and that's, yeah, that was, I was only 22. So, the success rate for a, a rehab is less than 20%. So 3%. How, 3%. Is the success rate. So, how many times were you in and out of rehab? So, that was the first time, and then the problem is with the two rehabs that I went to, they just gave me medication. Mm. So it was like, here's a pill to make you happy, here's a pill to make you sleep. (laughs) That that instant gratification again. That's it. So it was like no solution. It was just like, yeah, let's medicate them. But but there was no solution. So obviously I left there and I relapsed again. Then I kind of, I had these like, you know, months or years of being clean and sober, but no real solution. Months and years. Well, okay, not a year, but I stopped drinking for probably about 10 months. Mm. 
but oh. then I was on meds, mm. you know, so there was no... That must be heartbreaking for you as well, though, because, I mean, everybody's involved, you know, you're, try, you're trying your best into rehab, so you're like kind of at the, the final solution, but nothing's working. So, was it? I mean, it must have been a very scary journey. Yeah, I mean, that then really, my self-worth deteriorated, because I was like, geez, I can't even stay clean and sober for my child. Like, yeah. what kind of person am I? Yeah. You know, I started hating myself. I really did. Yeah. And, um... I, and so I'd have these these kind of moments of kind of having some sort of clarity and then relapse again. And I mean, this went on until the age of 29. And then eventually at 29, it was really bad. I mean, I was having seizures. I had a car accident because I was driving and I had a seizure, which, yeah, that was just, it was so really So was that your rock bottom? Yeah. So okay. that was the start of my rock bottom. And then I had another seizure and... I had sores all over my legs uh, because my body is shutting down. I had cellulitis. My hair was falling out. I mean, it was just – but and this was in 2018. So I was like, well, just as my, my dream predicted. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to die. So it's like just, you know, I'm done. Like I'm ready. I said to my husband, like, you know what? You need to find a new wife. When, when did you get married? In 2014. Okay. With um, Dave. Dave. Yes, okay. yeah. So, I mean, when we got married, that was when I was – I thought I'd put – my life together I was like I've got the husband you know he adopted Leo and uh, if I might ask was Dave also an alcoholic or so when we met we were kind of okay both of us like we were doing both well in our like businesses we were fairly healthy and that's what I'm saying this disease is so tricky Mm -hmm. it's so sly because you you think you're okay cunning and cunning baffling that's Mm. what it is and then it just then it grips you so we were okay but then we weren't okay and by the time we weren't okay we didn't even realize we'd got to that point yet Mm, scary eh? yeah so it was it was quite a journey and by the time yeah i was 29 uh, you know that was me done uh i you know i'd had moments of wanting to commit suicide I'd, Mm. i'd tried and failed and then that was 2018 we were meant to go to a friend's wedding and he said you know i'm sorry but i don't want you guys there Mm. you guys aren't in a good way and it's actually matt dove okay (laughs) yeah he's a really really good guy and he's been a good friend of dave's for a long time and uh, then he introduced us to his boss who's in recovery and then that's where I kind of started finding a solution. And he introduced me to my sponsor and I found out about Cedar's yeah. treatment facility. And I tried to stop, but it was really, it was quite hard. And then, you know, eventually she said, well, Joe, I think you need to go into treatment. Mm. So on the 1st of Feb, uh, I went into treatment. I literally told Dave like two days before. 1st of Feb, 2019. Yeah. And then... So you had already outlived your expectancy. So now you're like, okay, well, I was, I'm not dead. I wasn't living though. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I was walking around like a dead soul. Yeah. And I was like, this is my last shot. Mm. Um, but my 30th birthday was horrific. Like just the whole day, the whole night. Like a lot of stuff happened over that two days. That was like, I should have died. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, so then I went in on the 1st of Feb. Um, I was quite a mess. I was on a lot of Ritalin, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> so they, they couldn't kind of handle me. So they kept me on it for like about 10 days. Because, kept you on the Ritalin? Yeah, and they kind of weaned me off. Okay. They wanted to take me off straight away. So my clean date's actually the 13th. Okay, 13th uh, of Feb. Feb. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. you've been sober then now for four years? Three years. Three years. It was my three years, yeah, this in Feb. So and that, and then you started running 
whilst you were at that center. That's the center that you were going to. Well, the funny thing is when I got there, all I want to do is run and exercise. And they were like, oh, red flag. She's eating disorder. Like mm. she's not allowed to exercise for the first six weeks. So um, <laughs> in in um, rehab and part of AA is um, finding that high, higher power. That's it, yeah. So would you say that your higher power has been running in a sense? So when I was in treatment we had to find a higher power that was spiritual. It couldn't be anything physical okay. because that's the problem. That's again, coming back to that whole thing about finding a solution outside yourself. It can't be outside. It's within and your soul is connected to a higher power. Mm-hmm. But what I love about the program of AA and NA and what Cedars does is like, it, they don't say God. It's the God of your understanding. Yeah. So there's no God, there's no Jesus, there's no Buddha, there's no, you know, it's, there's no specific religion. It's, it's just a, a higher spiritual it's a, power. It's a spiritual program. And I think a lot of people that go into rehabs and treatments have, have had really negative experiences with religion somewhere down the line. And they're like, do not talk to me about God. Mm. Like, I don't want to know about Shut God. Shut down straight away. Yeah. So that process is quite amazing, amazing to watch and to be a part of. And you see people like just connect and the penny drops and they realize, you know, what a higher power is. And a higher power is actually just knowing that there's something greater than you. Mm. And if you allow that to unfold and manifest within yourself, you become a better person and you can help others. Yeah. And that's your journey. Your journey isn't about you. And just feeling good and getting fucking high. Mm. <laughs> Your journey is actually being of service to humanity. And that's where you start building up that, um, you know, your self-confidence and yeah. that, that self-worth again. So obviously, I mean, running releases endorphins. Endorphins yeah. is a sense of, you know, call it runner's high. And mm. a lot of um, alcoholics, drug addicts that are becoming sober obviously do get into some form of physical activity because of the endorphin release. Mm. You're a ultra trail runner and probably one of the one of the best in South Africa. Um, you you recently did Tanker Crossing. You did the Grand Traverse, which is all unbelievable achievements. But are you chasing some sort of a high when you're going on these ultra runs? Because I mean, you could go and become a very good 42k runner, mm. 21k runner. But are you searching for that 200k that push? You want that? Yeah, I mean, it's, I've, I've had to think about that quite a lot because also what I've had to. I mean, everyone has their vast. Yeah. You know, so if you, if you are, it's not, obviously, I mean, it's a great thing, you know, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying, are you trying to replace it? I'm just, I'm just curious as the, to. The funny thing is I do have to think about that though, yeah. because I've got to, I've got to think if something happens to me and I can't run. If you break your leg am tomorrow. Am I going to pick yeah. up? Like, I've always got to think of that. Correct. And I've got to say, no, I won't because, like, that's, I can't fix off something Correct. that's not inside my soul. <laughs> I do think, though, there is something that correlates between ultra running and mm-hmm. addiction. And I can't deny that. Mm. And I think there's something to do with going into, you know, I think Courtney DeVault's calls it the pain cave. Yes. But there's something there. But is that not just absolutely unbelievable? Because... Yeah, you found your spiritual higher power, but I mean, sitting here, I would say that running's also saved Joe's life. You know, running has given you that purpose. You, how do you define yourself? Are you are you a runner? So, uh she's. I, I actually thought about this the other day because somebody asked me, and I, you know, my initial reaction response wanted to say, "I'm a ultra runner. I'm in recovery. Yeah. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. Whatever." 
actually I'm a child of God, okay. whatever God you want to call that, yeah. and I'm fulfilling whatever role I'm supposed to. Mm. And I think that running has been my avenue to be able to share my story and share a message. Because there are a lot of people like me that are more, much more amazing than me that have gone through much worse. And so, they you, have been in recovery for years. But I'm blessed to be good at running and yeah. so I can share my story and have a, a broader audience. So just define service then, because you, you're basically saying that service has, is essentially your higher power. It's providing a service to others around you. So how, how are you doing that? How, do, how have you found yourself doing that? So I will always go to AA meetings and I'll always go to NA meetings. I will never be a recovered alcoholic or addict. <clears throat> I will always be in recovery. So when you, go to, when you go to an AA meeting, there will be someone that will walk in the door and they stop drinking for two days and you just see them shaking and they're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? This is impossible. I would rather die than stop drinking. And then you talk to them afterwards and you go, well, let me tell you a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you just see their eyes and they're like, are you being serious? Like, were you, were you that way? And I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, I was. And like that for me is service. Um, so I have women that I sponsor. Mm-hmm. And then what's incredible is those women get clean and sober and then they sponsor someone. Amazing. And then that woman gets sponsored. Also in AA and NA, it's women sponsor women and men sponsor men. It's very uh, black and white because you also get people that will try exploits. So it's very that that's quite a strict you know boundary that we have. So so yeah. So out of the five women that are sponsor, some of them have been clean for a few years. Some are still quite new. But then when they get sponsees, you know, it's just, and it's all free, hey? So it's, you're constantly finding yourself to be a role model to these women, essentially. And, and through that, you're also utilizing that energy to fuel your journey, essentially. Yeah, I mean, so for me, it's, and I don't always have the answers. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm in a mess mm. and I have to phone my sponsor and mm. go like, oh my gosh. Like, uh, <laughs> so after DGT, for example, I phoned my sponsor in tears because I felt so sorry for myself because I was at work on Monday and I was really struggling and she goes, Joe, do you choose to run? So I was like, yes. Yeah. She's like, well, stop, you know, feeling so sorry for yourself. You chose to do this. Stop making it a big dramatic ordeal event that happened to yeah, you yeah. and get on and do your work. And I yeah. was just like. And I think with, with DGT, I think it's something that we're going to get onto and talking about it. I just see it like in a lot of your posts, there's a lot of philosophy that goes into your thinking as well. And I think you, you summed your post about DGT up quite nicely. You said chasing angels or fleeing demons. And uh, you would say you would go to the mountains for that. Mm. And how was that experience? I mean, th- you don't get more mountainous than the Drakensberg That's Grand Traverse. The Grand Traverse. Do you want to give us um, an oversight of what the Grand Traverse is? So it's traversing the Drakensberg Mountains. You start at Sentinel Parking Lot and you finish at uh, Bushman's Neck. And you've got a summit, there's six peaks, so it's Mont Sources, Clef Peak, um, Champagne, Mafadi, Giants, and then Sabana. And that is in total 260? So it's 210. 210. But myself and Michael Baker, who I did it yeah. with, we did 226. Okay. Because we actually got caught in a hailstorm at okay. the top of Mafadi, and we had to find a cave. Which was quite awful. Yes, we saw those pictures. And you yeah. did that uh, unsupported. Unsupported, yeah. 89 hours. 
Yes. So, did you break a record? Because no, 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 no. So, Linda Doku is my coach. Yeah. Her, she's got the woman with the mixed record. It was mm-hmm. her and Reno Kriesel, and they did it in 63 hours. Kriesel? So it's my fiance's ba- surname. Baby's I'm marrying into that. <laughs> I'm going to tell her there's running jeans. <laughs> He's a, him and uh, Ryan Sands are doing that. Yeah. The Lesotho. Yeah. Ex- um, what's it? Navigate Lesotho. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the Grand Traverse, uh, 89 yeah. hours. You must have had a lot of time to reflect on uh, lots of things. So what goes, what goes through your mind when you're, when you're in that pain cave and when you're, <laughs> when you're really hurting? Well, the first day I just chatted the whole time. Yeah, like feeling chipper. I think Michael was a bit like. <laughs> How many Ks did you did you do the first day? Sixty. Shit. Yeah, and it was amazing. It was like perfect. So it was like, oh, we started at six. The weather was great. Yeah, this is going to be lovely. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is amazing. No wonder they call it the Grand yeah. Traverse. It's going to be grand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's exactly how it was. And so, like, we got to the cave, and even the cave was luxurious. And I was like, geez, Michael, this is all going to be a walk in the park. Tomorrow we do 70. He's like, yo, Joe, let's just, you know, see how it goes. So he's done this before. He and knows and the Baker's a big boy, hey? <laughs> he's, he's also, he must be over six foot. Definitely. Yeah, no. Yes, yeah. okay, yeah. So then the second day, the weather was so crap, so crap. It was so cold. We went up that Yodler's Peak and then we had to go on the ridge and basically like crawl because the wind was so hectic. And yeah, then we got to Mafadi and this hailstorm just came out of nowhere. The wind, it, it was really scary. I, I don't scare easy. Like, I think I'm pretty tough. No, yeah. <laughs> and I, I got scared. You've seen some shit. Yeah. <laughs> you were telling me something in, on the run this morning about what Bakes told, uh, told yeah. you when he turned around. <laughs> so, you know, then we kind of, we tagged Mafadi and then found this little rock to hide behind. And he's like, well, what are we going to do? He says, if we go right, we go back onto our, our route. But that's where the hail was coming from. And he says, if we go left, we can go to Injusuti Cave, but it's off our routes. But, you know, at least it's out of this shitstorm. <laughs> Injusuti is where we stayed. We we tried to go up Mafadi the other weekend and we failed miserably. You know, it's, it's, oh, geez, it's, it's just so unpredictable. Yeah. And so we were kind of ducking under this rock and I said, well, let's just try go right. Let's just try. How far is the hut? He's like, I'm not sure. Maybe two or three Ks. I don't know exactly. We got up and kind of looked right and that's where the hail was coming from and it just like burnt our faces and then we kind of like ducked back down and Michael said to me, he was like, Joe, if we go right, we might die. (laughs) Possibility. (laughs) And that's probably telling the exact truth right there. So you obviously didn't go right. You obviously went left. You went to the cave. Well, we actually sat there for about like two minutes thinking maybe this hail will stop, you know, and kind of trying to make a decision. And then I felt quite sleepy and I said, yeah, I think I'm going hyperthermic. Quite sleepy. Yeah, I just was like <laughs> falling asleep in the yeah. spot. And, Day um, two. Yeah, <laughs> okay. well, no, I just, I, I was going hyperthermic yeah, there yeah. it was so cold. And so Mark said, no, we ma- I'm making a call and we're going to the cave. So then we went to the cave and that was like 5 p.m. and we'd only done 40 k's. Only. So, but we tagged our two peaks because our, our mission was to tag two peaks a day. So we, at least we had done that, but we had to go much earlier than what we had planned. So then we got into the cave and yeah, I mean, I packed, my backpack was nine and a half kgs because I packed a really warm sleeping bag, changes of clothes because I, I know I get cold easy. Yeah. So 
you know, we, we each like had our own setup and, you know, we managed to get quite warm quickly. And then we said, okay, let's sleep for like four hours. And then we took off again at 10 p.m. that night. And then we started and we were in Lesotho. And then on Friday morning at 2 a.m., the, all the river crossings were so hectic because <laughs> of all the rain. Yeah, Davy is a great river crosser, I must say. Yeah, we uh, back to our Indusuti like story. A baby I giraffe in, crossing I, the river. <laughs> I ended up face first in the in the river crossings a few times. So yeah, they 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 were really difficult. They were, especially yeah. with they, I mean, I mean, the water up in the Drakensberg has been crazy recently. Like th- those rivers are just very strong. Yeah. Imagine at two a.m. in the morning with a nine kilo backpack that's carrying all of your stuff that you need to keep warm. Like a hundred k's in, we had, we were like fifteen k's in, and I was like, I can't. <laughs> When Davy, when Davy <laughs> fell, we were like one point five kilometers in. When Davy fell, <laughs> no. yeah. I was just worried about my my phone getting wet. So I was like, "Where's my yeah, phone?" Straight for the phone. Yeah, I'm, so, I had a. So you took a swim as well. Yeah. So I mean, I, I fell in, and then I kind of got washed down for at me. At two a.m. What? Two a.m. Because we had started. At, remember, we got back to the cave at um four p.m. that afternoon. And then you slept for four hours. Started again at ten yeah, p.m. Yeah, yeah. About so, you're going, so running running in the night. Must be a hell of a thing, hey? I mean, can you? See, how much can you see? I mean, how how much slower do you go? I, I mean, I've never run at night. Uh, I don't know if you through have. the mountains. Through the mountains, it must be no. quite treacherous. Yeah, I mean, you don't move fast. Your your light is only as far as your headlamp goes, and if there's mist, then it's only as far as your. Le- your so there's no running. No, no. Walking. It's all, it's like, uh, hiking. fast tracking. Power hiking. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, I can do that. Yeah. Wow. But then also the problem was the escarpment was all wet from all the rain. So yeah. we were literally going through marsh the whole mm. time. So our feet were wet 90% of the time. Mm, so wet socks, wet shoes, like freezing cold. Yeah. When that hailstorm hit, that must have been minus two. And then, so at 2 a.m., then I, when I fell in the water and I kind of got washed down four meters. A little bit. Yeah. And then I get, got my stick and managed to like lodge it into a rock yeah. so I could get out again. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, that was very scary. But you love it. Yeah, now I do, but at that time, that time, I yeah. thought there's gonna, a helicopter's gonna have to airlift me out of here, like, <laughs> when was the, when out. was the first point that you realized, okay, this is hectic, or? It was that hailstorm. Was it the hailstorm? Yeah, that, that was scary. Like, okay. I actually prayed. Yeah. I actually prayed because I thought, like, <laughs> just, let me please get through this yeah. and I promise you like I've, I know I've stopped smoking I've stopped drinking I've stopped uh, you know using um, I'll stop I'll stop being selfish you know like I was trying yeah. to think like all these deals all. yeah all these deals I made with God yeah. along the way yeah. you know it's like now what else can I what else can I <laughs> put on the table left to <laughs> so, so it's during those really tough <laughs> moments that you really think about that higher power again oh, and you yeah. take it back to and I mean there must be plenty of moments like that in your races as well where obviously training for 100 milers I mean that is I would say from what I've seen you do that would be your expertise right now mm. is training and racing those, those ultra distance races I mean you've got one coming up now with UTD is that correct yes yeah, yeah. and you've you've raced UTD before mm. last and, year yeah. and I, I mean how do you go about preparing for an event like that? I mean, how does your coach look at managing that load as well? Because, I mean, if you if you look into account this year, you did that tanker crossing. Yeah, that's exactly what I just wanted to quickly yeah. jump in there with is that I was telling Nick um, a while back that I don't 
I don't know any other runner, ultra trail runner who, I mean, okay, you did tanker crossing, 260Ks, I'm pretty sure. So, two, 207. Why do I always go to 260 <laughs> But it's in the Maybe middle of the road. I'm thinking 160K. Yeah, so, yeah, tanker yeah. crossing, 207, you came second overall? Yeah. Second overall. Yeah. First in your age group, obviously. And yeah. not far behind the winner. Yeah, 13 minutes. Yeah. And, and that is through the middle of the, the desert. Yeah, that's During like... Summer. Summer. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of people would... Was there anything else before Tanqua? No, no. Okay, but it was Tanqua, and then well, you went I had, and did... I had Ultra Cape Town 100K in November. <laughs> okay. Easy but race. That's a, yeah, that's no, like the, a 21K for us. <laughs> no, no, that no. was horrific. That <laughs> yeah. was... That was so, yeah. Tanqua crossing, then you did uh, three cranes for a little bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was and, like a training run. Yeah, and then straight into Grand Traverse, but... In, for a normal person, it would either be Tanqua or Grand Traverse mm. for the entire year. Now you're going Tanqua, <laughs> Grand Traverse, UTD, mm. and then I'm sure you got stuff other well, after. DG, I'm doing the Grand Traverse race in At November the the with Amri. So this was like a wreck. But now... That goes and back they, to that they, question. I, yeah. I mean... Uh, how do you manage that load and how does your body respond to it? You were running clearly. like two days after the Grand Traverse. Yeah. I did a marathon and I, it took me two weeks to even start running so, again. So, I mean, okay, Grand Traverse wasn't, it wasn't hard on the body in terms of what you would do in a marathon because you're not running no, at that pace. Joe, no, I, <laughs> I, I saw Davey hike through the mountains. I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, but give yourself some credit because 89 hours of trauma on your body. It is trauma. trauma. No, it is. It's traumatic. It's bloody traumatic. And then two days later, you were running again. Do you do you get sore? Yeah. So, I mean, I had a bit of a pain behind my my ankles. <laughs> so, I, t- I thought it was the skin that was sensitive. So, I started putting methylated spirits behind my, my mm-hmm. ankles to toughen up the skin. But actually, it's my Achilles that's a bit tender. So, I realized... Methylated spirits. <laughs> Alcohol doesn't solve anything. Eh? <laughs> Come on, Joe. It's fine if you put it on your body. Just don't drink it. <laughs> put some ass on it. No, I do. I have to actually put ass. Now that we know yeah, what okay. the issue is. So that was a bit tender, but I, I kind of just ran through it because I was thinking of, you know that guy, Nim, who did 14 peaks mm-hmm. on oh, that yeah, Netflix, yeah, Netflix yeah, show? Yeah. I was like, geez, if that guy can do that, oh, I love that within movie. seven months, like surely <laughs> I can run two days after doing the Grand Traverse. Well, Did we, your coach recommend it? What, the methylated spirit? No, running two <laughs> days after the Grand Traverse. Yes, she did. She said, she hmm. knows She knows me though. And she said like, it's better that my body like, keeps moving. Uh, Unbelievable though, hey? mm. I saw that. Your average pace was like, what, it was under six minutes ago. Was it? It felt like it was a really slow slog. Like, well, it is very impressive. Well, your partner, he was... Yeah, he was, Bakes. Bakes was, was... He couldn't stand on his feet. <laughs> we, actually, we actually invited Baker to come and join us for this podcast and and I don't think he can leave his home yet <laughs> he's still recovering but I want to just get back to like your your training in general I mean obviously we, we've chatted and you know you're focusing a lot on the endurance element you're doing a lot of the slower longer just mm-hmm. time on your feet but in terms of managing that training <laughs> load how <laughs> They, we, we have a, we have yeah, a fan we got, we got fans Mark Charles every single Mark time Charles, give him a shout out um, <laughs> at Marky Charles I mean from my perspective as a bio I, I look at you and I look at the amount of training that you do and I'm just like it's unbelievable how your body is just capable of recovering 
and just going again because you and i mean what is sort of like your recovery modalities because that's an important element if you're going to be training as hard as you do mm. you obviously got to recover just as quickly in order to allow yourself to train that hard i, I want to say that i reckon if she can come through like the midst of like chronic uh, addiction and all of that she's like i can recover <laughs> damn quickly from <laughs> a little oh, run the mind. it's all yeah. in the mind yeah. <laughs> yeah okay but seriously <laughs> um so i i swear by yoga Okay. I love yoga. So I do yoga at least once a week. And it's not, it's not this intense hot yoga, bend backwards, break your neck in half. Like it's a very restorative yoga. The yoga instructor that I go to in the Midlands, her name's Sarah. She's just an amazing person spiritually. So, I, so for example, I went to yoga on Thursday and I was feeling very nauseous, which is a stomach thing I had after DGT. Yes. And she stopped me and she got me just to like, Lie on boulders and then like not literal boulders like hot stones, <laughs> no. Oh. And then like sit against the wall with like my head on, you know. And do it's very it, she she's very spiritual mm. and I kind of like that. So it's very restorative. How do I book a session? Because <laughs> I've got lots of issues. And uh, does she come to Durban? Because if she'll fix you up after after Grand Traverse and all of that, then I'm gonna start going yeah. to her for a few uh, sessions. I think you need a lot of help, baby. <laughs> a lot of help, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> but I mean. Yeah, it's still, it, it's mind boggling, but I think what you're getting to with that restorative side of it, it's just keeping your body moving. That's a hundred percent. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's key. And I, I know a lot of people would prefer to, after doing the Grand Traverse, just keep their feet mm. up for two weeks and do absolutely nothing. And I think there's different ways of recovering and you've obviously found the way that works best for you. Mm. And it's sort of just an active recovery. And a, a, a lot of the time, that's what I would sort of advocate with my athletes and the people that I train, it, it's important to keep the body moving. Yeah. And whatever it is that works for you, so that is going for a slow run just to get the blood flowing through the muscles and prevent that stiffness from building up or taking part in a couple of yoga sessions or even just doing a little bit of mobility routines at home, yeah. I think. whatever and swimming. Swimming is yeah. an excellent way to swim. recover. Yeah. So you do swim, yes, hey? yeah. But you, where, where do you swim? I mean, you, you stay on a farm. Active. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She stays on a farm that has giraffes and hippos. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. That's <laughs> I don't swim in the dam. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was asking. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that would be really hardcore. That would be like, wow. <laughs> well, you are pretty hardcore, Joe. I must yeah. say. I mean, other hardcore Challenge things. Challenge accepted. I'm joking. Another hardcore thing that I want to just mention, and that's <laughs> this is a journey that myself and Davey were on with Joe. I mean, we took part in, in one day of it. Summit. Summit, summit essay. <laughs> summit essay. Summit essay. I mean, for those, so of, for those guys not knowing what Summit essay was, I mean, I'll just... Or oh, is. I mean, you can go and do it if you want. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And it has been done. It, it has, has been, been done, done since we did it. Yeah. Well, since Matt you Dubb. did it. Yeah, Matt yeah, Dubb did yeah. it. Since you did it. But I mean, it's essentially going from the lowest point of our country, which at that uh, stage was... Suncoast Beach. South Africa. To- toes in the ocean. Yeah. And then the highest peak of our country being Mafadi Peak, which you touched, what, three weeks ago? Yeah. yeah. And uh, that, that was the first time we met, Joe. Well, I met well, Joe. Well, I think that was the first time you met. I think we met previously to that. Yes, uh, in Belito. In, in Belito. Yeah. We've done a few runs. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was an incredible journey. Mm. Do you want to, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So, so Summit SA, I didn't do the full, full thing. I just joined. So I think the guy started on what was a Thursday. It was the 
Thursday and then the Friday they were in PMB and then we met with them on the Saturday. Saturday. Yes. So, so you met with them on the Saturday as well. Saturday morning. A shame. I think it's when Matt had just yeah pulled out. Uh, yeah, and then it was so it was Andrew and Jordan. Yes. And so I ran with them and you guys that whole Saturday, yeah. which was so I've never laughed so much. That day was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, was going hoot. through those fences and a then hoot. like cheering like because it was at that point there were there were three that started. Matt pulled out. Then it was just Andrew and Jordan, and basically they were like, if if either of us get injured or or can't run, we're going to can it. it. Yeah, and I was. The there to see it through. I was like, "This is." This <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That, that's yeah, my husband. He's taking photos. Hey. <laughs> hey. So, and I mean, this this the route was uh, planned by Matt, but it was mm. done through just normal Google Maps. So it's it's pretty much looking at Google Earth and and looking at where the roads go to yeah, and trying to figure out a way. Mm. I mean, how far was the whole of Summit? I think two hundred and sixty. No, I think it was was it not two forty? I think it was two. Either way, it's a crazy distance yeah, with I the mean, crazy no. elevation. But now the thing that was hilarious is now you're literally trespassing to get where you need to go because yeah. now there's a fence. And we had no permission from any farmers. <laughs> there's a fence. you got to get through that fence. Otherwise, yeah. you got to do like a 10K loop. Yeah. And you don't want to extend a 240, right? So no. you're just going through, not really caring. There was a few moments where you're, like, you're crossing rivers, like you're hearing things. <laughs> Chainsaws. Chainsaws. No, 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 no. A little Shotgun. bit dark. And then like you'll go down this road for 10Ks and then you'll get to a fence. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. I don't get around. And we went through the fence. Let's go through. Uh, there was a few moments like that on that day that we were with you. Um, I mean, what a what an absolute jaw that, that day was, was. That was such good fun. But it just, it's amazing how running brings people together. Yeah. And, you know, through these experiences, I mean, that day, there was there was so many people on the road. It was yeah. incredible. Like, yeah. the, the amount of cars that were following us at those seconding points. Mm. You felt uh, like a rock star. Yeah. Like an absolute, <laughs> absolute rock star. Rock star. <laughs> uh, but uh, Davey was hurting on the way on the way to Giant's Castle, Giant's Castle Hotel. Oh, so I was fine. <laughs> yeah, he was looking like he was falling off the yeah, bus. I think he was hungry. Uh, that's what no. I got from it. Like he just needed real food. <laughs> no, I was hustle. But then that, I was ready to be done. That oh, was a, no. It was a long day. It though. was a long day. Yeah. Well, we ran for like eight hours. I ran for like eight hours, okay. which is long for me, a roadie. Yeah. Because I try and run for as as short of a time as possible. I don't try and extend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was uh, that was. You know what was am- amazing about that, and actually, like you say about people. So on the Sunday we did the Mafadi bits, yeah. yes. and Jordan, wow. Yeah. What an amazing person to watch. Yeah. The most humble man I have ever met. And you could see he was in so much pain so much on that pain. Sunday. And you would uh, say, how are you doing, George? Yeah, I'm fine. Eh? I'm I fine. Know. This is amazing, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Like, and I was just like, wow, no self-pity. No, like, I'm struggling, guys. No, just he was... He was incredible to watch. And, like, you know, it's people like that that I remember when I do an event. Yeah. Because I think... Wow! Imagine what he or she was going through. You know, I can, I, I've got this. Like, it's going to be fun. No, so, sure. um, yeah, just to, I had to mention that because yeah, I'll never a, forget he's it. He's a champ. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about your, your. We talked about your service earlier, mm. and the other thing that um, I want to chat about is the Southern Lone Star 
Lodestar Foundation. Lodestar Foundation. Yeah. So that is your that's your job. So no, um, I have been working as a procurement or supply manager for Mulhouse International for the last two years, which has been quite quite. A, it's a, I love it, but it's been quite stressful. We supply premixes throughout Africa. I've traveled to Mozambique, um, and um, so maybe this is the right place to kind of you know. What is it? Um, announce it, but do, so do that, some advertising. Go so, for it. Come on. So I have been training and working full time, and then obviously being a mum and running around. So I wake up at half past three in the morning. Yes. Wow. And I sometimes only get home at like seven, and I don't have much time for recovery. So I'm sleeping maybe six hours, you know. And it's been no, Joe, no. <laughs> it's been no, it's been very hectic. It's and I, I got back from the Grand Traverse, and I was like, I can't. I want to be, I want to try to become a professional runner. Mm. Like, and I, I don't want to get to 50 and look back and go, shit, I wish I'd done that and missed the, the window of opportunity. I mean, you're, you're on the verge as it is. So, so y- yeah. So I actually got back and I spoke with the MD and uh, I have resigned. <laughs> so wow. this is my last month. So I will be going into full-time training next month. But also what I'll be doing is work for the foundation. So I won't be working full time. It'll be like part time work. It won't be as demanding as deadlines, meetings. You're going to be, um, f- yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to see what I'll be capable of with. Wow. So, I mean, I don't go to a bio as much as I should. I don't go to a physio yeah. because it doesn't, no I don't, that I can't go before 8 p.m., uh, 8 a.m. and after 4 p.m. So, I mean, I've been going maybe once a month. Yeah, I mean, we were, when we were speaking to Naheng, I mean, a lot of uh, one of the biggest things for those elite athletes is having a stress-free environment. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think you have a very stressful environment. Yeah, no, it's been it's been very very stressful. And my dad was actually quite concerned about me when we went to Tanqua, and he also had a discussion with me, and he said, you know, you're burning the candle from three ends, yeah. mm-hmm. not two. And he said, he said, I'm I'm worried that you know you're going to do a race or something, you're not going to do well, and like, what are you going to do? He, he his biggest fear is like me ever picking up again. Like, yeah. bless my parents. Like, they have been there through it all. They've seen the worst of mm. the worst. Mm. And it's been amazing for them. And, sorry, I get so emotional always. No. no it's just course. been amazing for them to see me come out of it and what I've been able to achieve. And for me, that's the best gift I can give my parents. Yeah. Because of them just standing by me through all my shit. Yeah. And they love me, hey, unconditionally. Yeah. They've taught me what a good parent is. Yeah. Um, they might, they might have had their faults, but like that love was, yeah, something. Yeah, so I'm very grateful that I can do this now and they can be part of my journey and they love coming to all my running stuff. Like those pictures of Because I mean, they must there. be so proud of you. Because They're I mean, so proud. I mean, oh. it's is, exceptional. Hey? It's honestly an exceptional story what, you, what you're I mean, telling us. Your story, quite frankly, is, you know, it's, it's one in a million kind of. I mean, I mean, addiction and recovery is, is such a, I don't think a lot of people actually understand, you know, how yeah. difficult it is and how many people out there are always, you know, they go through their whole lives without finding the solution. Without um, finding the purpose. Without finding that purpose. So, yeah. I mean, your story gives me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I have so much respect for you and what you're doing is just unbelievable. You know, the recovery side of things, what you're doing in running is also like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put it all together <laughs> because, um, I, and I mean, you, you talk about like not doing great in a run. Like I also quite frankly get concerned because like <laughs> I'm a Kepler fan and like, I'm like, sure, Tanqua, Grand Traverse, UTD. 
<laughs> I mean, do I mean how how's preparation for UTD going? I, I mean, are you are you feeling good? So so I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I will be in tip top shape mm. for UTD, but I believe in showing up. Yeah. No matter what, yeah. and whatever happens on the day, I've got to deal with it and be like, you know what? Whatever the universe needs me to do, it will unfold the way it has to, and I've just got to let go. If I get to a point and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is not okay, like I'm I'm really not feeling it. I, I've never DNF before, yeah. and I don't intend on ever doing it. But like I say, who knows what happens? But then I might go out and have the best day ever and like crush it. Yeah, I can't predict things. I don't. I'd literally take it a day at a time, and sometimes it's like an hour at a time. And I think it's an important point that you bring up because a lot of a lot of athletes a lot of us especially like working in this environment we we tend to want everything planned to the t <laughs> yeah. and have a plan and you know as a coach we always say okay this is the plan this is how mm. you got to follow it but you also have to learn to listen to your body and take it day by day as yeah. you say it's 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 a crucial element of how you progress as an athlete mm. and i think becoming in tune with your body and knowing what it is capable of doing and knowing when you can push a little bit more and yeah. when you have to respect mm. it a little bit more in training or in a race yeah but i think the most important thing that you bring up there is that element of never giving up yeah because and that's something that every runner goes through mm -hmm. at any stage in their life mm -hmm. on any run and especially on races perhaps the race is not going according mm -hmm. to how you want it to go it's always easy to just oh well let me pull off here and that be done but, uh, but i don't know who said it but, but i've heard that if you do that once and if you've done yeah. that listening to this, I'm sorry. But <laughs> but I would also just like to say that if you're going to be an elite runner now, I think there is also the side of it in terms of um, knowing when to DNF. Mm. If you're going to put your career yeah. into jeopardy, yeah. I mean, I mean, Nick, you know, we're not elite athletes, so we will never DNF. Well, mm. hope to, but I think um, I know a lot I don't of. Oh, Davey, you told me that if uh, if this <laughs> if tomorrow doesn't go according to plan, you're going to pull off. <laughs> never. You said that last night at dinner. <laughs> but the point being is that I know a lot of elite athletes that DNF. For the for the sake of their career, mm. so that is also just something that uh, maybe you're gonna also have to to come to terms with. I mean, I, I spoke to my coach last week Saturday for about an hour, and I told her the news about my work, and you know, I said, "So Linda, we're gonna have to up the, you know." And, and her first response to me was, "Joe, you're really gonna have to cherry pick races, and you're gonna, you know, have to do things that are gonna grow you as an as an athlete." She said, "I don't want you to burn out." Mm. So Linda is very good for my mental health. So she's not just my coach, but she she's the one person that speaks to me and I'll listen. If somebody tells me something, I don't always listen. I'll be like, whatever. Do you listen to her? I listen to her. But I do. do you, Follow do you, the process. Yeah. Trust, trust the process. Trust the process. Yeah. Do you feel like becoming a full-time runner is your purpose? And how is that going to impact the way that you can influence people or be of more service to people so i mean tying back to the southern lodestar foundation so although i'm not going to be working full-time for morehouse i will be doing more work hands-on for the foundation so what that means is that my hours are very flexible so i can cool. work from home i can go to the schools and be so i did i went to a school last month and we did um, a nutritional talk on what they you know must eat and mustn't eat I remember you gave us a stat the other day in terms of how much it costs to feed a child. Yes. And, I don't know. Yeah, so that.
that's um, our porridge, which is it costs us one rand thirty to feed a child. And though though that fifty grams of the A plus porridge is got the it's fortified with your vitamin A, your B, zinc, iron, and so it's much more healthy than just maize meal. Is it a is it a non profit store? Yes, yeah. It's a so for anybody NPO. listening that uh, maybe wants to get involved, I mean, how do they find them? How do they donate? So we are uh, we've got a website, Southern Lodestar. Load. Load. Yeah, yeah. Lodestar. Um, on Instagram, also Southern Lodestar, and and can you go on there and and donate? Yes. Yeah, so on our page, there's a donation button at the bottom, mm-hmm. and then also I recently when I did Tanqua, I did a, a campaign, and that was for raising awareness around child abuse so um, obviously I've been to quite a lot of these schools and other NGOs and NPOs and what I've realized is a lot of the kids are sexually abused and they don't know that it's wrong Mm. especially in the rural communities they don't know that they can say to someone no so I sourced a whole lot of books which is also crazy there's no books in South Africa on child abuse I mean, on like children's illustrations that talk to kids about like what's appropriate and what's not. So I found some from overseas and I ordered them and they actually arrived this last week. So I'm going to distribute those to so some of our schools that we support. And then there's like Angel Care in Howick, who's got a, a like crisis center. And then what I would like to do is actually write my own book and then get that translated into Zulu and Corsa because there isn't anything like that. So... That campaign I did was, it was part of the foundation. So the funds still went into the foundation, but then I asked people to use Joe as a reference and those funds were allocated specifically for a certain thing. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm more involved with the foundation, I can do more of this stuff, which is like really my passion. Like I love it. So you love sure. charity work. I love charity work. And yeah, I mean, maybe like, so in terms of the financial side of things, like that's going to take a bit of a strain, but. You know, life's, I can't go to my grave with my money. So, no, well, <laughs> it's about it, it won't take a strain when you're winning races. And you're well, that, I'm hoping that if I get better at running, then I'll be more noticed. If I get better, at when <laughs> she said, when yeah, did yeah. I say when? You or said if. if. Did you? I don't know. I well, don't know. Let's say when you when, when positive, man. Yeah. When but I get better. I mean, even if you remain the same right now, you are an exceptional runner. Yeah, honestly, like the fact that you're placing at all these races. Yeah, it's, it's, I know. Mm. I know some elite uh, elite men runners that are shivering in their <laughs> in their trail shoes. They they they, they petrified. The, the, the name Kepler. They're Kepler. Everyone's looking over their shoulders at the run. Uh, here She's coming. coming. <laughs> and I mean, with that, I mean, what are your goals and aspirations that you want to achieve with going full time? As you've just mentioned to us, I mean, you've already achieved so much and you're running in such a short career. But what would be like a a major goal for you to get to so I, I think obviously international races that's mm. my main goal so you know things like UTMB Western States you know uh, there's there's the big leagues yeah that's I want to go there and I want to win smash I want Yo, that's, no. that gives that's me goosebumps. Awesome. So, that's I mean, awesome. that's my yeah, goal yeah. That, that's it and I want to represent South Africa and I'll, uh, I just I definitely think I am an ultra runner though mm-hmm. I mean it would be interesting to see how to do in the shorter things, but to be honest, like I, I like yeah. ultra running, I really do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on that note, you got invited to do the Ned Bank um, oh ultra, God. ultra was it? Oh. Ultra five? No, oh, runner five. Runner five. Oh. What, what was it? Fifty k's. It was the worst run of my life. Okay, but I to put it into perspective. You got you got time. invited, yes, right? I did, yeah. That that means that they classified you as an elite female runner, right? You're an ultra distance runner. You're not going. <laughs> 
doing 50Ks, but like, that was pretty cool. When I, when, when you got invited to that, how did you feel? So I was, I'm not generally a road runner, but when I do, I run for the Orcas Academy, which is Prodigal Kamalu's. Yeah. Uh, Are you fast, Joe? I mean, um, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, uh, my best marathon time's 310. She's fast. But you haven't given it enough, like, time to actually. No, I've never trained specifically for. And you wouldn't even, con- and you would never consider it? Well, after that runnified run, yeah. I will. Like I'm pretty put off road running for a really long time. That and was. Like, I think she said she she loves the trails. I mean, yeah. why why go against it when it's something that you're so passionate about as well, and it's brought you so much into your life. You know, I'll be honest, and I, the reason I need to say this is because I think it's it's uh, it affects a lot of women. But I'll I'll be very honest with you. Being at those road running races, it brings up a lot of my like eating disorder stuff. Because I feel so like fat, and it's it sounds mad, but it's the truth. Because a lot of those road runners are very very slim, mm. they're only forty and it, kgs. Or it feeds into my disease, and that actually for me was a big warning. And I was honest to my sponsor, like my AA sponsor, as well as my coach about it. I'm like, this is how I felt when I was there. I wanted to lose five kgs when I left, mm. and they were like, red flag. Yeah, this is. I, I yeah. saw a post the other day that you did, and you were trying to lose weight in between your thighs. <laughs> Because you're trying to avoid friction? Yeah, so I got chafe, which is normal. And then I was like, oh, it's because I've got big thighs. And that's that's it. That's where the mind goes. The disease of perception. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. the disease of perception. And that's like what's anything to do with addiction, whether it's alcoholism. And, you know, an eating disorder is part of the same. Yeah, um, classification. Yeah, it's it's all the disease of perception. And so I just found shorts that don't give me chafe, and I just use chafe cream. <laughs> well, that's a healthier yeah. solution. Like, or ba- baby powder, as they uh, would put it. Baby, we're not going to tell the baby powder story. Or do you want me to tell the baby powder well, story? Well, you can, baby. Mm. <laughs> we can stay away from it okay. for today. So do you want to give your sponsors a plug, a little shout-out? Because I believe you're a Sokoni athlete. Yes, yeah, so um, Sokoni are amazing they give me a lot of shoes <laughs> and uh, trail, they, trail they shoes. actually gave me a brand new pair of the peregrine 12 oh wow in yellow which are beautiful a peregrine peregrine I love those shoes a peregrine in yellow <laughs> a peregrine in yellow who in the marketing department okay that peregrine, peregrine a peregrine yeah. in yellow I love the peregrine baby. a peregrine in yellow or in uh, green uh, mine are green mine are <laughs> green peregrine you don't have a I do. Do you? Maybe. The Sikonis. Yeah. That's my trail running. Oh, okay. Yeah. Trail, did did trail you guys shoes. see the video of them after the DGT? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Oh, my word. Those well. poor shoes. They were like ripped. At the, the bottom was fine. Like the sole and... Yeah. But the top was just a knife from all the rocks and just... Yeah. Okay. So Sikoni give you shoes and first ascent are your... Uh, Apparel. Yes, apparel and and sleeping bags and gloves and beanies and extreme stuff. Yeah, all the the crazy stuff. Shame. Yeah, <laughs> I work with a lady named Nicole and she's she's great. She's just always sending me stuff. She's like, Joe, give her a shout out. Yeah, I really will. Say she, she, Nicole. she is great, and she's like, this will keep you warm. Wow. You know, because I I don't like the cold at all. So no. so yeah, they've been really amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I, and that's the thing, I, I'm very grateful, but I also need to look now at going forward. And mm. I think to get to these international races, you need a sponsor that's going to yeah, pay. Yeah, please. unless you can afford to get to no. uh, UTMB, which is going to cost the arm and a leg. Well, it's, that was my yeah. plan, to work really hard, train hard, and, and then insane. pay. And yeah. I was like, but I can't. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't do I can't do it all. Can't do both. 
And I think the the amount that you've achieved doing it part time mm. and still managing your normal family life, I mean, mm. it's it's unbelievable. And if anything, today was just an exceptional conversation with you. I'm so grateful yeah. that we were able to yeah. have it. It was really just a show of real strength, both mental, emotional, <laughs> intellectual, but <laughs> without saying physical i mean we know it takes a lot of physical strength that that's, uh, that doesn't need to be said but i mean those are all key elements that go into into making runners yeah. and we're just very grateful that you were able to come here today yeah. on holiday yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i said your story gives me goosebumps um and we are watching with eager eyes because there's only about good things coming uh if you want to give joe a follow it's uh, joe underscore kepler on on the insta you can you can follow her yoga her running you can see the giraffes you can see her <laughs> lovely patio <laughs> and and follow the rest of her journey considering that she thought her life would be over at 30 i think it sounds like it's just started yeah absolutely unbelievable joe thank you yeah. so much for for your time thank you guys it's always so nice to see you i always have such a good yeah, laugh and connection chat, yeah. so yeah it's been really awesome and maybe we'll join you on another crazy adventure i think we soon. have to. you can take us off my buddy please oh, yes okay you're gonna have to drag davy up that <laughs> well for my birthday weekend i've settled that i'm going to industry and we're going with fadi 2.0 when's your so birthday 28th of may okay anyone listening <laughs> you can uh, send flowers <laughs> This is the thing. We got up to the gorge just before getting to the top of the escarpment, and Davy is no, no. Davy has no, been no. crawling now. He's been he's been on the floor <laughs> a couple of cramping, times, crumping, crying. The three a couple C's. of times on the floor, and he looks at me. And now Andrew Erasmus and and there was another guy. There was another two guys and. with us, and and Will. They they were a little bit further ahead, and they kept on leaving us behind. And, and the I mean, roadies, the roadies. But I was getting classified into the roadies section. But I was I wasn't struggling as much as Davy. I'm just going to go out there and say, Davy, let me finish. And then <laughs> Davy turns around to me and he's like, no, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> Such a lie. He says that, and I turn around, Davy. We've got to make a call here because no. now if we go up the gorge, we get to the top of the escarpment. We're going to go all the way to Mafadi, you know. And that's yeah. another that's another four k's once we're at the top. We've already done fifteen. You do realize we've got to go 15 k's back, which I hadn't actually. Which he hadn't realized. He thought he was just going to camp at the bottom of the gorge. I don't know what he was thinking. You don't think about. You only think about the summit. Okay, you don't think about the return. So Davey made me turn around to the other guys and be like, "Guys, we're not going to carry on." Do you want to? Do you want to hear the real story now? The real story is that Nick only wanted to do like 20 k's, right? So, no, I promise you. So then I was the one that was egging him on. I'm like, come on, bro. Don't be such a worm. I rolled my ankle. (laughs) And he rolled his ankle. And I was like, okay, like, let's just get to 15 and then, and then we'll turn. 15 was the, the escarpment or the, the gorge. The gorge. The the gorge gorge. going up this. And yes, I was hurting. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to deny that, but Nick looked at me and said, we need to make a decision. And I said, it's up to you. And then he walked over and he was like, okay, I'm going to make the executive gonna, decision I'm saving call. Davey. Like Michael did with me, you yeah, see. You have to make there, that executive decision. You've got to stand up. one person that's going to save your life. But I saved your life, Davey. And then we had... Go out and say And then this weight was lifted off my shoulders and we had the most lovely run down. Nick and I stopped at, at this little stream and we had cheese and sandwiches <laughs> and know. we just talked so much shit that we wasted so much time 
that when we got to the bottom and we and every single river crossing we got to we would like swim we would like wallow we were in no rush and then we got to the one and Andrew Rasmus down. he'd been to the top summited he came and he caught us and we looked at each other I was first of all just embarrassed I, I, I refused to believe that he had been to the top of my fuddy and now he was back with us because we we must have had like a, over an hour gap more on him well they would have still gone up I mean we turned around yeah no it was an incredible thing but uh, we learned we learned a lot that we day. roadies we roadies we roadies yeah we must stick to road I'll, uh, yeah, we'll race the, the the trail guys on the road and they can have their, their but, mountains um, no, we'll, we'll get onto the trail we'll get <laughs> onto the trail Joe will get us onto the trail yeah, yeah. May. Sure. we on alright thanks guys <laughs> thanks so much Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. If you enjoy this podcast, you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music. And don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram at Making a Runner to follow the journey of our guests and our podcast and catch up on the latest news. Bye for now. Cheers, guys. Once again, guys, this episode wouldn't have been made possible without the support from On The Move by Four Bros. On Running believe that their cloud tech soul is the key to unlocking your running potential. The multi-directional cushioning system active during landing reacts to your unique movements and is designed to be the perfect balance between cushion landings and explosive takeoffs, providing a unique running experience. Having run in a range of these shoes, I can testify to this feeling. But don't just listen to me, try it for yourself. I really encourage you to pop into one of their stores and chat to their friendly and knowledgeable staff where you can expect to find your favorite on-running shoes and apparel. Alternatively, make sure to check them out online at onthemovestore.com. We're excited to be associated with such a forward-thinking and inventive brand and look forward to bringing you more insightful conversations in episodes to come.